This episode is sponsored by Newcom, and as many of you know, I only bring sponsors onto this show whose products I truly swear by. Now, we are an overworked and underslept population, especially those of us that wear uniform for a living. And trying to reclaim some of the lost rest and recovery is imperative. Now, the application of this product is as simple as putting on headphones and a sleep mask. As you listen to music on each of the programs, there is neuroacoustic software beneath that is tapping into the actual frequencies of your brain, whether to upregulate your nervous system or downregulate. Now, for most of us that come off shift, we are A, exhausted, and B, do not want to bring what we've had to see and do back home to our loved ones. So one powerful application is using the program PowerNap, a 20-minute session that will not only feel like you've had two hours of sleep, but also downregulate from a hypervigilant state back into the role of mother or father, husband or wife. Now, there are so many other applications and benefits from this software, so I urge you to go and listen to episode 806 with CEO Jim Poole. Then download Nucom, N-U-C-A-L-M, from your app store and sign up for the seven-day free trial. Not only will you have an understanding of the origin story and the four decades this science has spanned, but also see for yourself the incredible health impact of this life-changing software. And you can find even more information on Nucom.com. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show gymnast, entrepreneur, and the man behind Warrior Gamer Foundation, Josh Otero. Now, in this conversation, we discuss a host of topics, from his early start in gymnastics, education, the world of finance, video games, veteran mental health, physical fitness, nutrition, the suicide epidemic, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of over 850 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Josh Otero. Enjoy. Well, Josh, I want to start by saying thank you to Ken Corigliano for connecting us, and I want to welcome you today to the Behind the Shield podcast. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So where on planet Earth are we finding you this afternoon? I'm out of uh, sunny Phoenix, Arizona, where it's a balmy 75 degrees and sunny right now. So I would love to start at the very beginning of your timeline. So tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, how many siblings. I was born in uh, Lake Forest, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. I uh, grew up in a suburb of Chicago called Skokie. Um, I have one sister, 
one uh, real sister, and uh, she's still in Chicago. And my uh, parents are divorced. My mom mostly raised me. And my stepdad came in my life when I was about 17. He's been a huge influence in my life and my direction of my uh, life. But um, went to uh, high school in Skokie and was on the gymnastics team there. And then went off to community college for a couple of years. And then I moved to Arizona to attend Arizona State University and was a, on the gymnastics team there and just had an amazing experience at ASU and, and being a part of the team and, and growing and fell in love with Arizona, hated the cold, hated the wind in Chicago. So I said, uh, I'm making the move permanently. So I've been out here since uh, moved out to Phoenix in 1996, and I've been out here ever since. So I listened to you on the DLC Drop podcast, which I think is a, a, a e-gamer that we'll obviously get into in a little bit. Um, talk to me about how young you were when you started gymnastics, because I don't think I've heard had anyone on the show that began the sport that they were going to do for a long time at that age. So my mom put me in gymnastics when I was 18 months old, and I took to it, really enjoyed it. And it led me into what I, more of the sports that I did is, you know, we, we'll discuss those in the, a little bit later on, but um, led me on to do, it kept me out of trouble all the way through junior high. I quit through junior high um, just because I became a little troublemaker. And then I joined again in uh, high school and I credit my gymnastics. I, I wrestled a little bit in high school too, but I mostly did gymnastics. And I credit my high school gymnastics coach for kind of steering me in the right direction versus going the way I could have gone if I wasn't a part of a team and didn't have a good leader as a coach. When you look back now, why did you deviate and become a troublemaker for a little bit? Um, I think I was lost and uh, didn't have, you know, my real father, you know, there were some things during that time frame. And so it was my mom and she was working two jobs. And, you know, I just didn't have the, I think the role models that I probably needed at that time, especially at that age. And so I think that kind of got me off to the, you know, just wanting to cause trouble and do things that I knew weren't right. But I, you know, at the time I enjoyed kind of the rush about getting in, potentially getting in trouble and doing all the things that, you know, came with that. I think that's the thing that the role models are out there. It's just if you find good ones or bad ones. It's, and that's where that gymnastics comes in and the high school comes in because, like I said, without my high school gymnastics coach, which I'm still in touch with to this day, I would, you know, I definitely would have been on a different path. Now, I ask this a lot of people who have been high level athletes themselves, obviously the coaches that come on here too. Through a set of English eyes, when I moved to this country, and I've, I've told this kind of preface many, many times, um, there seems to be a forging of elite performance at high school, maybe college level. But now, retrospectively, we're realizing that it's at the cost of maybe the longevity and the wellness of that child that becomes an adult, whether it's through injuries, whether it's encouraging a linebacker to eat, you know, so they can be 300 plus pounds. When you look back now, what were the pros and or the cons of staying in gymnastics specifically from 18 months old all the way through? That's a, that's a great question because I know, and, and certain sports I think are different than others, right? I think gymnastics and wrestling 
and and some of the other sports are different than maybe like football, you know, in, in the fact that it's, you know, gymnastics is extremely hard on the body. I've had both my shoulders done, you know, um, I've got a 90% tear where the long head meets the um, shoulder. I've got labral tears in both my shoulders. So what the, the, the con is, you know, my shoulders are trash because I was a ring specialist in college. But the pros, I think, I, would, I wouldn't change a thing. Like, I, I would say the pros outnumber the cons 10 to 1, right? Because what I, and especially if you are aware of what you're doing to your body and then you treat your body like you should and, you know, you recover and you do all the things necessary to, because I, I could perform, I'm 48 years old now, I could perf- probably beat most 25-year-olds in any physical competition besides the higher-end athletes. So as bad as my shoulders might be, I could still probably outlift and, and outperform, you know, most people half my age just because I've, I've chosen to take care of them, stretch, you know, meditate, do all the things that I need to do to take care of my body. So I could, I could basically give you a one for one of all the cons that, that were being a competitive athlete all the way through college, but the pros, I mean, I wouldn't be the man I am today without gymnastics and the leadership skills, the resilience, you know, all the different skills that gymnastics taught me and going through all the, you know, shoulder surgeries and not being able to lift my arm and just all the different things that it taught me, but also like falling and failing and then having to do it again and again and again, that's, you know, directly correlated to my success, you know, in in life and business, because, you know, the pro is, you know, it teaches you to be, I I use the word anti-fragile and it's basically you get knocked down, you get back up again, you get knocked down, you get, you know, get back knocked down 99, you get up a hundred times. So it's, it's, it's building that resilience and that anti-fragility that gymnastics or, you know, any high level sport would teach you. And it's just having the right mindset to be able to take that from a college kid to an adult and make that trend, that successful transition. So I think a lot of it has to do with the mindset and keeping that same mindset as a competitor. I'm a very type A alpha competitor, love to compete, love to win. Taking that from where you're at as a college athlete to as you know, 48 year old adult, there's a big difference. And a lot of people lose that mindset and then fall into the right everyday traps that a lot of people fall into. And then there's a lot of, you know, cons to the results to that where they're back or, you know, they're just not in great physical shape, which affects their overall life and their lifestyle. Well, I'm 49. So we're pretty much the same age. Um, and I've watched the strength and conditioning world since, you know, bodybuilding at 18. I wasn't a bodybuilder, but, you know, that was what exercise was when I was little, supposedly. And this evolution of not only the movements, and we'll get into obviously CrossFit in a minute as well, but um, also the less is more philosophy becoming more and more prominent and and the emphasis on rest and recovery and, and those kind of modalities. From a physiological kind of physical therapy perspective, if you could do anything different, would there be anything that would maybe help mitigate some of the issues that gave you the injuries in, the, in a, with a 2023 lens? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, back then, you know, in the 90s, it was go, 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 go. Forget the rest, forget all the recovery aspect. We didn't, recovery didn't become, you know, really popular until, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So I would have focused more on the recovery aspect and the rehab aspect versus just the go, go, go better, 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 improve, improve, improve out of focused on how, you know, 
making sure my shoulders were healthy and back was good and knees were good. And then, you know, I, I don't know if it would have taken me any higher, but I may not have got, had to, you know, get as many surgeries and all the other things that, uh, that led to that. So that would be, I guess, the one thing, yeah, it would be to incorporate more of the newer learnings and the technologies that we've had that we didn't have back then. Now, I'll jump ahead for a second. You said you're a ring specialist. I got into CrossFit 06, 07, initially just learning from the main site and whatever videos I could find, um, you know, that had the ugliest, but not even, I never had a kipping ring muscle. I had, I had strict muscle ups, which eventually I learned to do properly. But I can see how the same way as an Olympic lifter watches a lot of us with a barbell on our hand, a gymnast must feel the same way. So you were a ring specialist. What was your perspective when you entered the CrossFit world on the way it was being taught and the way us white belt athletes were trying to perform <laughs> the uh the 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 basically the get into the starting position that a gymnast does and we were struggling <laughs> just to get there? So I didn't really get into CrossFit until about two years after you did. So like 2009, 2010 is literally because I started doing I'm a only 175 pound guy. So I'm not a big dude, but I started in doing uh, dabbling in like strong man, but like for a little guy, not for a 250 pound guy. Um, and so that is what kind of led me into the, the CrossFit because then my eyes got open to it. And I'm like, oh, that's way better sport than me. I'm never going to lift all these big weights that these guys that are 300 pounds are lifting. I said, but the CrossFit is very similar to my background. And I was a runner and triathlete and all that kind of stuff. So that led right into the CrossFit. So by then, by the time I joined, we, you know, we had like, um, I think the monkey, what is it called? Um, there were, there were some gymnasts that were teaching gymna uh, the, the rings. So Carl, it actually Carl was. Paoli. Is that right? Carl Paoli. And then yeah. uh, I forgot the other guy. Uh, Dave Durante. Um, Dave Durante. Yeah. yeah. So we had gymnasts teaching that. So it was, we were getting more aligned with what the actual gymnastics training was. So, but I looked at some of the old stuff and it was ugly. It wasn't pretty. And then as like 2009, 2010, as I was getting into it, that's when it actually, they were bringing in gymnasts to teach gymnastic skills. You know, they each one had their own. And I, you know, I did the Olympic lifting. I did each one of those things. Yeah. So what about in the gym space itself, though? Um, because, I mean, even now I've, I've, I'm coaching this afternoon, but I normally do. Uh, it's funny you say that. It's a strongman based uh, tactical athlete program. So because in CrossFit, we don't tend to push, pull, carry, drag very much. So I put those in for the firefighters, especially. But I have coached in a lot of classes and watched myself as well. Um, and CrossFit as a, as a principle, as a philosophy, when done correctly, is amazing. But my God, are there, you know, the king of shortcuts in the CrossFit world, especially in the competitive world. So what has been your lens of, even though you've got these great gymnasts teaching at the certification, the kind of ripple effect that you see in the gym space itself? So my my complaint against CrossFit, and, and I, I, I'm saying this as a CrossFit lover, but I've seen, and, and so I'm not saying, I've seen this more in like, if we individualize and we go down to the individual level versus the global level, because I think the globally CrossFit teaches it right, you know, and, and Dave Castro does the programming right. But I think on an individual level, you get some of these guys that are 22 to 25 and all they want to do is win. And, and so they're, and then they start teaching and they open up their CrossFit box and they push programming that is not meant for the everyday person. 
So 70% of their athletes get injured and they're like, I hate CrossFit and it's nothing to do with CrossFit. It's the programming for a competitor versus the programming for an average person is not even in the same ballpark. And so, but when I'm trying to program for myself and I'm a competitor, I'm programming it for the 50 year old guy that is not done, you know, much of anything for the last 10 years, but he wants to, he wants to get in shape. You're going to get injured hundred percent of the time. So I think that's the disconnect is sometimes we don't scale it to the, to our audience. And if we're, our audience is a full, you know, full of 35 to 45 year olds, that's a whole different audience than 20 to 25 year olds. And the programming has got to be different. And so that's, that's what I've seen on an individual club level is, you know, the programming sometimes is not designed for the audience. It's designed for their owners or their coaches. And so that's, that's where I see a lot of the injuries coming in and people hate CrossFit and this and that. And it's, it's not because of CrossFit. It's because the coaches that are teaching it are teaching at such a high level, your average person is not going to be able to do it. That's my personal uh, view of what I've seen. Brilliant. Well, I want to go back to, to when you became a box owner yourself. But before we do, I met my current wife. Um, I say current, I'm going to get another one. Um, my second wife. Um, and her son was 11 at the time. So I got introduced to the world of being a stepdad at 11 years old. That is challenging, especially when they have a parent who you know is still on this earth in some way, shape or form. It can make it challenging. Um, you speak fondly of a stepfather that came in when you were 17. So talk to me about that dynamic and if there was any resistance at first and then what he did to, to bridge that gap. That's a great question. It's, it's very interesting because, um, you know, I'm, you know, and, and I say this candidly, I'm closer to him than I am my real dad. And I, I, I they were just out this weekend because it was my daughter's birthday. Um, and so he came in and I think, again, I was a senior in high school. I had a really, really positive role model, male role model as my gymnastics coach and a leader. He was a leader, not just a coach. He was a leader and a, a kind of a mentor. Right. So, and then my stepdad came in and he just, he clicked with my sister and I, he clicked and I saw how he treated my mom and how happy my mom was. So I never had any, there was zero resentment from day one when he came into our lives with, because uh, again, the, my mom hadn't been, you know, in a real relationship like that for like 15 years or longer. And, and so no, yeah, probably 15 years. So to see my mom happy to see what, you know, it did to her life and it really made her life better. I, how could I get mad or be resentful or do anything? And I was at an age where I had the cognitive ability. If I was 12, maybe it would have been a different story, right? But at 17, you know the difference between happy and not happy and right and wrong. So, you know, then, so my the beginning was I was open to it because I saw what it, he did to her. And then second, I saw how he treated her and how a man treats a woman and, and, and some of these other things that I hadn't necessarily learned or I had learned. Um, until I, I met him and he came into my life and, you know, from opening the door to flower, you know, to whatever it is, just seeing what a man does for a woman and having that male role model in that respect. Right. Cause I had a male role model as far as being a man and like get, you know, don't complain and, you know, step up and what my, all the things that my gymnastics coach did, but he did it on a different level as, as a family, you know, as 
being a family person and being a man and as to a woman and all that kind of stuff. So he, you know, he always was there. He, when I went to looking at schools, he went with me. And so when I chose ASU to go, he was with me, he was on campus and he took me skydiving. Didn't tell my mom until after we went. So like <laughs> we did all this stuff. So he took, he did a lot of things with me that were fun and like, you know, we kind of bonded. Right. So my mom didn't come with us. So to go to schools, he came with me to go to school. So it was things like that that brought him really close to me and, and kind of, you know, say there's more than one side to, to, to a relationship and to how to treat somebody and how to be a mentor to somebody else. And he filled that role perfectly for me at the right time. Beautiful. I think there's been a pushback on being a gentleman, you know, holding doors. Oh, that's kind of chauvinistic and all this stuff. And I couldn't disagree more. I think holding a door for a man or a woman is just kindness, selflessness. But, um, you know, that's really what masculinity is. And this phrase, toxic masculinity, is thrown around. I think the true toxic masculinity is projecting the two-dimension, chest-beating, you know, dripping of steroids, show no emotion. That's not yeah, that's, what a man is. And a lot of men yeah. buy into that, that it is. But a real man, you know, will be tough when he has to be. But most of the time, he's kind and compassionate. And that's that's what we need to see more of. So that's so great to hear. And I have two daughters, so it's even more important, you know, it's even more important for me to, uh, to do that. So yeah, I completely, that's, you know, if the guy doesn't hold the door open for my daughter, it's like, all right, let's, you know, let's have a conversation. So that's. Absolutely. Yeah. I got a son, two sons. So yeah, the same thing, but the other, other side of it, like this is hopefully they see, you know, this is how you treat a woman when they see me with my wife and, and, you know, they see me holding doors for people. And I know, I know it's, you know, carried on because they do the same thing. They're, they're amazing souls. And that's how you change the world. You know, you raise yeah. kind, compassionate, strong kids. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, then back to have a certain expectations, right? If they don't have, my daughters have expectations and if they're not met, you know, next. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you gotta set that bar high. Um, well, speaking of childhood, one more area I want to hit before we kind of move forward. When you were in the school age, career-wise, what were you dreaming of? <laughs> well, way back when I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I was like a world wildlife person. I was like the animal lover. I had like a thousand animals in my house. So I was like this big animal guy growing up, had an iguana and uh, guinea pigs and fish and snakes and all sorts of stuff. And then, so I went to school, well, and then I realized early on that that was not probably a career path for me. So then I was like, maybe I'll be a teacher because I've always been this like, you know, special guy. I was in the special classes, ADHD, you know, they wanted to put me on Ritalin, Adderall, all that kind of stuff. I never took it, but I always had a hard time, like, you know, put me in a test, I'll do it. But as far as doing all the books and stuff like that, it was never my thing. So, you know, it's always taking those Myers-Briggs tests and all that. Oh, you should be a police officer. You should do this and that. And I, I looked really hard at joining the military. And I don't know, you know, I looked at becoming a SEAL and then, you know, well, you have colorblindness and you can't see this and you can't see that. You're never going to make it. And I think if I had family that was in the military more, I probably would have done that. But I just... I don't know what it was, but I just didn't choose that path. Um, so I, I want, I went to school at ASU, my first degree or my first, what I was going to study was going to be a teacher. And then I looked at what teachers make in Arizona. I said, ah, that's not going to happen. 
you know, you can't even live, a, a single guy can't live on that, let alone a family. So I switched from education and that's unfortunate because teachers are amazing, right? Um, and what they get in Chicago is not even in the same planet as what they were getting in Arizona. And I didn't realize that until I came here and saw what the teachers make. But so I, I was like, all right, that's not going to work for me. I switched to business and I studied business management, which was much more my style. And so that's what I studied. I got my degree in uh, Bachelor of Science in business management and minor in entrepreneurship. And that was before those entrepreneurship was really a thing. They didn't, they didn't even have a major for it. It was just a minor. They didn't have all these things that ASU has now, like probably 50 programs. They had one. That was like a minor in entrepreneurship. So studied that. And that's kind of been my course moving forward. It's funny with the Myers-Briggs test. I was just talking to a friend of mine from school about it, it couldn't have lowered expectations more than we, we did ours. I think it was like, you know, factory worker or, you know, porter, porter toilet cleaner or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then even with the colorblindness, they told me I was colorblind and took all the cool jobs off the table. But then when I think about Jocko, when you become a SEAL, everything's black and white anyway. So you should have been fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's, and then we'll get that. And that's why I started to do what I do now is because I had to do, become a part of it somehow. I wanted to be, give back and be a part of the community. So with finance, you know, you, you do the academic side. Talk to me about the journey it initially takes when it comes to the business. So graduated from ASU and then I was, uh, you know, wanted to get into financial services. So I joined a, a, fin- a stock brokerage firm because back then there was stock brokers still and did that and for a couple of years. And I went to the wholesale side, which is basically similar, but working on I represented a company that would go work with uh, brokers and financial advisors like Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, all that kind of stuff. So I spent 15 years doing that, maybe 12, 13, somewhere in the decade to 15 years doing that. Um, And then got divorced in 2009, 10, 10, I think, 2010. And then I kind of reevaluated a lot of things. And I actually left the industry in 2012 because I was tired of putting on a suit and tie every day and wanted to kind of do my own thing. Again, I'd always had that entrepreneurial spirit. I just, you know, I, and I did work from home all most of those years too. So I was able to, but I was in office. I would still have to go to visit offices. And so I was still wearing a suit and tie every day. And I was just kind of done over that. So then I went and, to, you know, that's when I opened the CrossFit gym, looked at, you know, started it in 2013, I think, but started the process in 2012 and then opened it in 2013. You made a comment in the, the podcast I listened to um, about reaching a financial goal, getting to 5 million, then wanting 10 million. Um, was there any point where you felt happy or was that was it as you hear with so many people that are successful materialistically um, that there was a sense of unfulfillment every time you reached that goal was what made you chase the next one? Well, I don't think I ever hit any fully, right? So I never hit that because I would go start going up and then some, you know, whatever happened, like market or whatever. So I never hit that goal, but I was never happy. 
I always wanted more. I always had that ambition like to drive. So even if I would have hit the five to 10 million, I wasn't, I had to keep upping my goal. Cause I'm like, what am I like? There is no goal, right? I just want to achieve. I, I, I could have a billion dollars and it still wouldn't satisfy me because I had this desire to build and create. And, and so I realized, I think, Later on, not early on, that was because that was my first thing, because that's when I was, you know, in the financial services, it was to hit that $5 million mark, right? And, and so, and I, if I would have stayed, I would have hit that, no problem. But I realized that, what is that going to do for me? What life am I living? Am I working for the person and not working, you know, building the life that I want to live instead of always having to build higher, more houses and then I'm always working for somebody because I'm always paying somebody off. And I realized that's not the way I want to go. I'd rather, I don't care if I make less but I want more. And at the end, you're going to make more because you want more. And so that there was, I, I cut that cord right around that time frame. It's like, all right, if I'm doing it for myself and for my own reasons. It's not financial. It's more goal driven, aspiration driven. And I'm, you know, I have a lot of goals and aspirations about building things. And I look at my, you know, get example would be my stepdad. He's, he's going to be 80. He still works. doesn't have to, but he wants to. And that's like, if I made a hundred million dollars and exited it and I would still work and I would still start and do something because it's not about the dollar amount. It's about the fulfillment and the joy of building something and being a part of something. So that's, that was the disconnect. I thought it was all about the money. And I realized it's not about the money. It's about the fulfillment, the journey, and kind of the, you know, living your purpose. And if you retire, you lose all that. And that that's kind of what I've seen through role models being my mom and dad, they both work. And it's because they enjoy it and they love the purpose and the passion that it brings them to do what they do. And what is it they do that keeps them going to eight years old? My dad's a dentist. So, and he's had his same, he's been with his partners for 40 or 50 years, almost 50 years. Yeah, no, more than 50 years. So he's had, some of them are retired, but he's, he's got a core partners that he works with to this day that he's worked for over 50 years. That's what keeps him drive is that, that just being a part of that. And he's had patients for 45, 50 years. So yeah, that's so, so good to hear. In the fire service, usually around 25 years of service, you can retire. And people enter with this burning desire to serve, you know, and it's it's the identity and it's the purpose. And then something happens between chronic sleep deprivation and seeing lots of horrible things and maybe the impact of the job on family, et cetera, et cetera. And then towards the end, people, all they're talking about is their pension and what we call drop, which is, you know, you work extra years and you, you know, get more money. I never got there because I didn't want to, but, um, but it, you know, so that passion is lost. And I used to look at them and go, so what, what now, you know, you get this money and now you just sit and you play golf every day. Like I, that, that never quite factored with me. So I ended up cashing out mine when I got out of 14 years. But then people are like, oh, what are you going to do for a pension? It's like, well, I'm going to keep working. You know, the same thing, not, not, you know, not in, a, in, a, in a factory, hopefully, but keep doing what I love doing. And that way, every day, it's, it's your, your mind is ticking over. But there's such a drive. It kind of reminds you of the yuppie years. It was almost like we've gone full circle again, where these kind of douchey videos with some bloke sitting next to a jet saying, you could have this. And, and, you know, for what? You know, if you have that passion, that real passion, whether it's, you know, running a gym or, you know, whatever it is, and that gets you out of bed every day, that's so much more powerful than money. But you don't hear many people talking about that. 
I didn't know it. That's I, like I said, until I quit the industry, that was the only thing that I thought hit 5 million retire. And I'll just, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Who knows? But at 55, I could be retired and do everything I wanted or 50, I think was my goal at the time. Then what? I'm halfway through my life. So I, then that that's kind of when everything was like, wait, what are you doing? Like for what? Or you buy more and more things. So then you're having to make more and more money to, because then you have to keep this lifestyle up. And I'm like, it's, there's no, what's the end? What's the end game? What's the end result? And there was none. Just being on this hamster wheel, spinning, 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 spinning. Oh, look at this new thing I just bought. And I was like, eh, I'm done. I don't need that. That does zero. There's no purpose. There's no passion. There's no fulfillment in that. Yeah. I, I traveled the world with my then girlfriend, um, 2000. And all I had was a backpack and a guitar. That was it. And went around the entire planet. And uh, it was humbling because you realize all the other shit you don't need. You know, I got to play guitar in Fiji and New Zealand and, you know, interact with people in hostels and wear, you know, board shorts out in the ocean and sweaters when it got cold. But that was kind of it. That was the the necessities. And it makes you realize now, I mean, you, we have people that have massive homes and then storage units. And then their Winnebago is in another separate fenced area, you know. And the American dream has gone from just a little bit of land and a place to raise your children to, you know, we've been duped into thinking that we never have enough, you know, consumer wise. And I think it's uh, it's very humbling to go whatever kind of journey you can forge for yourself where you're not able to take very much stuff. And it really does recalibrate. Absolutely. And it, I think a lot of times it changes, like for me, the life event, right? I think it takes, well... I'm, I'm speaking for me. Maybe it's different for other people. I think some people figured out without having to do that. I'm not that smart, but for me, it took me going through the divorce and financial ruin and some other stuff to figure out, okay, this, you know, this is not worth it. This being fulfilled and, you know, happy is more important than, you know, being a part of the hamster wheel that every, you know, a lot of people are a part of. So you got an interesting kind of entry into owning a CrossFit gym the years that I've been in, you know, in that world, one thing I've heard over and over and over again is you're either a good coach or you're a good business owner, but it's almost impossible to be both in, in a gym. Now you had, you know, this business background and you were a high level athlete. So what was your experience in that? And, and why did it, you know, why is it not standing today? And that's, that's a great question. So I think there's a couple of variables. So my goal when I started it was to be able to, exp I knew that one gym, I looked at it from a business standpoint and a lifestyle management and we're, you know, having two kids and expenses and all that kind of stuff. I, I understood right away that one gym alone wasn't going to cut it for me, right? If I was a single guy, 25, no problem. I could have done that and been totally fine. But I realized having a lot of, you know, responsibilities that that wasn't the, end result was not to just have one location. So I opened, that was my mentality when I opened it. And, and so we had like this triathlete kind of cross where we didn't train hard, hard CrossFit. We did, you know, more endurance CrossFit, but a lot of strength as, as well. And one of the things that I had worked on was building out a healthcare component where we would serve underserved communities, specifically Native Americans, and, and be able to provide them services and training services. And so I spent 
about a year spinning the gym up and getting it going. And then I spent the next 18 months working on this partnership that we were going to partner with a, a company to go in and basically do uh, uh, build health and wellness programs for tribes because there is a major health ep epidemic among Native Americans. And so, you know, they were going to hire us to build out facilities and go do training. So we were going to use ours as kind of the hub and then build out training centers across the different reservations, specifically in this one tribe. So I spent like 18 months working on that and diverted some of the attention from the gym to that. And ultimately that that's what ended up cost me basically the gym. I, I did sell it, but it, it was a loss. Um, but that's ended up the contract with the reservation never happened. There was some, I think some higher level tribal stuff that I wasn't a privy to that took place and they basically didn't want us to do it. So spent 18 months kind of building that because that was kind of the growth plan for how I was going to take just a little gym, 62, it was, it was 62 square feet, but it was still just one gym, hundred members. Um, to scale it to where it's a multi-million dollar facility where we're just a training facility and that never ended up materializing. And so we were just a CrossFit gym. And so based on just being a CrossFit gym, I couldn't sustain what my life, you know, the, there were, you know, the responsibilities that I had and the gym and I had a head coach that was running it because I was doing that other stuff. I couldn't do it all. So I basically sold the gym to him and he took it over and, the gym lasted until just after COVID and then just COVID killed, as, as we know, with a lot of CrossFit gyms, it killed us and it killed pretty much 50% of the gyms in Scottsdale or more. Yeah, that's how you make a population healthier. You close the beaches, the parks, the gyms. Yeah, and yeah. that'll do it. Don't exercise. That's <laughs> not go get your vax, but don't get don't exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Don't even get me started. Yeah. Um, well, they're just touching on the Native American thing. So what were some of the issues that you were seeing? Because I I hear this a lot. And obviously, it's not all doom and gloom. There are you know, a lot of people thriving in, in each of these reservations. However, you know, addiction, alcoholism, you know, some other things, you know, just simple little health, obesity. What were you seeing in that particular tribe that you were trying to help mitigate? Diabetes. So there was, well, alcoholism, but there was a huge, I don't know what the numbers were, and I couldn't even probably figure, I don't even know if I still have it, but it was a significant, significant portion. And it wasn't, I don't, I don't think it was anything their fault. I think it was generational and they never were taught food and the food basics, right? What's healthy, what's not. So you think having donuts and candy or whatever they're eating for breakfast is healthy because that's what your parents and your grandparents did. Well, that's what you're going to eat, right? Or Coke, you know, drinking 10 Cokes a day or whatever they're drinking. Well, that's fine. It's just, you know, it's, it's water. So that was the big thing. So we were going to go in and teach them physical stuff, but also like lifestyle stuff, like nutrition, like how do you eat? What's water? Coke is not water. And, you know, having 32 grams of sugar per serving times 10, 320 grams of sugar per day is not help. Like you're going to get diabetes 100% of the time. So that was kind of, we were going to go in there and just do training, set up facilities and then do personal training with them, basically like a doctor, but not, we're not doctors, but coaches to teach them about lifestyle management. So that was kind of our goal. And I still believe that's a great thing. And I, you know, and, and I think that's a great opportunity. I just, you know, it's, it has, the tribe has to buy in at the elder level before it even go to the regular people. Someone made a comment to me not long ago. Um, 
about we talk about identity because obviously that applies to the veteran community. You know, you you identify as a marine or whatever you were, and then there's a transition and then there's a struggle. And they said, imagine if your entire identity had been kind of wiped out from the country of origin. You know, and especially in some of these Canadian tribes where they literally, you know, the Victorian schoolhouses where they try to educate the Indian out of them, for lack of a better term. And so you think about multi-generational trauma, how detrimental that has been to a lot of the Native American tribes, and I'm sure a huge contributing factor to the physical and mental ill health that we're seeing amongst some of them. Yeah, and it's, you know, there is a, uh, I think Sean Ryan was talking about, but this generational trauma is, is you know, there's, it's, it's massive, right? And, it, and it's within different populations, not just Native Americans, but other people that have gone through different types of trauma. And, and then that trauma continues to the next generation. So I, I think that's a major problem and addressing it through mental health and correction, I think is, is super important, but I don't think it's happened. I, I don't, I'm not really tied into the Native American community anymore, but I haven't, I would assume I would see something on the news or something that there was something going on and I haven't seen it. So I'm, assu- I'm going to assume it's the same way as I left it 10 years or six, eight years ago. So I don't think any progress is made in the last eight years on that. And I'm, and I know it hasn't been on, on the others. I know it's starting to happen on the, on the veteran side because I'm a part of it. But other than that community, I don't see a lot of, a lot happening. Well, speaking of shitty sugary drinks, um, when the game started, you know the the Fit Aid guys got involved, and I've been a huge uh, fan of Focus Aid. Um, and I watch, you know, my fellow firefighters pounding monsters and bangs and all these things. And you know, then we're doing training in the Florida or California heat with bunker gear on and wondering why people are falling over. Um, and it just seemed like such a disconnect for those. But you know, in in the CrossFit world, okay, we ha- we had a pretty healthy, you know, drink that was was behind it. And then we didn't. And then they went to one of the the shit ones. And I watch the UFC and they're holding a bottle that's got water in, but it's got a label of the shit thing. So talk to me about your journey into identifying what was being consumed by the video gaming community with that same kind of uh, principle. So going back, you know, Aaron, when he first started Fit Aid, I met him right around that time and uh i became like we became a fit aid outlet we were an innovate you know innovate's not much around anymore you still find them at specialty stores but innovate is my was my favorite shoe i still well now i have uh the new crossfit shoe but um i had innovates for the last 10 years because i thought they were the best shoe and i had at one point i had 15 pairs of innovates and the same thing with the drinks because I would, we would, again, we had the fridge, you know, Fit Aid would come into your gym and give you a fridge and, you know, and, and so what I think happened, well, I know happened is, you know, somebody came in that had a little bit more dollars and unfortunately they're running a business. So it's, it's a thing, right? And so Fit Aid still, they're killing it and they're still doing well. And I think the loyal fit, the box owners are still using Fit Aid, but, you know, other sponsors came in. And, and specifically like Monster and the UFC. And, and to your point, all of those athletes that are, have Monster cans are not drinking Monster or Red Bull. They're drinking water. They put water in those cans because they know if they're drinking, you're pounding Monster or Red Bull, 
you're not going to perform for a lot, you know, for long periods of time because it's detrimental to your health. So I saw that in the, in the space. And then my, I, I started, I'll, I'll back up to your, to your question. Cause there's a, it's, there's some path to it. So after I closed the gym, I started a company called recover faster and we know it now, we know two companies that are still in the space. And I was the third, we know Aura Ring and we know Whoop. So they're both billion dollar companies. I was the third um, and obviously we're no longer in existence. So I was the, the not so successful person, but um, Aura Ring developed a ring where they would te basically teach you what your heart rate was, what your HRV was and HRV is in this whole story is the most important component. And, and then Whoop did the same thing, but with a wristband, not a, a ring. Well, we, I, I formed this team. On this team, there was this really smart uh, Pepperdine professor named Dr. Holden McRae. And so Holden was my chief scientist. He was the brains behind everything. Um, he had been working with Red Bull High Performance because Red Bull is an amazing company. One side, they kill kids. On the other side, they work with the top athletes in the world. So it's like their conscious works on this side, but they make up, they have a money tree. Like when I say a money tree, they have a money tree, like literally grows money, which I, I, I'm working on growing one of those myself, but they have one and it's growing and it produces a lot of uh, leaves. And so he worked on their high performance side, which they work with some of the top athletes in the world. And so he helped me build this program and this protocol, but we partnered with Polar. We, we didn't have enough money to build our own device. So we just did a chest strap and we were partners specifically because Aura Ring at the time just signed some contracts. Whoop had big contracts because they just got, I think, uh, LeBron. I think it was LeBron James that gave him like 29, it was part of a $29 million raise. So they had just raised a ton of money. They've got an MLB, NFL, and NBA they had signed contracts with all those. So they were going to the moon or ring was just coming on and we were trying to do some stuff with Aura ring, but they were still didn't have the funding that whoop had. And then there was us and polar, which I don't know if, you know, the audience has, it's just a chest strap. They're not much around anymore, but they used to be. And it, the ECG, the sensor was actually better than both. So that's why we did it. Cause he wanted to have the most accurate measurements turns out audience, the, the users don't care necessarily as having the best measurements. They care about the ease and convenience of use. Well, so we developed this device that basically gave you a readiness number. You do a three minute test, have you do some breathing exercises and ask five questions. How is your sleep? What's your stress level? What's your hydration level? You know, basic questions to assess, but then we use your HRV and your 21 day trending HRV average to determine your readiness to train. We'd give you a zero to hundred score. Based on that, we'd give you different interventions. If you're hundred, go out and PR it. If you're a 30, take the day off, do some breathing exercises. We did box breathing, meditation, journal, but don't work out hard. Maybe get outside, get some vitamin D. And so long story short, we ended up running out. We Nobody was using the chest strap. And so we just couldn't get lift off. We just failed to get lift off. And you know, I, I think it comes down to we just didn't have the right device and it wasn't it didn't it wasn't sexy like the Aura Ring and the Whoop was. And we didn't have twenty nine million dollars backing us. So we ended up shutting that um, business down. And then about a year, a year and a half later, I get a call from Dr. McRae saying, hey, I want you to look into something. 
And at the time, Red Bull was getting into esports. And they were with one of these, at the time, it was the largest esport team. And he's like, I think we have an opportunity here to create a healthy sports drink for esports. And I said, I don't know what esports is. And he's like, well, it's competitive gaming. I'm like, what are you talking? That's not a sport. So he starts telling me like all this stuff and all these stats about gaming and esports. And I'm like, get out. Like, there's no way it's that big. So I said, all right, I'm, I don't, I don't think this is anything I'm, you know, let me look into it. So I spend like a few months, like looking in, cause I was not a gamer at the time. Didn't know anything about esports, any of that kind of stuff. And so I start looking into it. I'm like, holy cow. Like there's, you know, hundreds of millions of people gaming and, and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, and there's millions of dollars. And this was back in like 2017 or something, 2018. And I'm like, there's maybe actually something here. And then I looked about how much money Red Bull was spending in the gaming space. And then G Fuel was coming up and how fast I looked at G Fuel's sales and they were like going to the moon. And then I looked at Red Bull's spending and what they're doing and gaming and esports. And it was like, it was like a chart of like a volcano just erupting. I'm like, okay, maybe there's something here. So we, we came together and we created a company called NutriGamer with the idea of creating a healthy sports drink with, with specifically designed for esport athletes and gamers to help improve focus and concentration. I'm actually drinking one right now. So what Holden did was Holden designed the, the drink for us and we built a company that was basically wrapped around providing a healthy sports drink. We called it a cognitive performance drink in the gaming space. So it was specifically designed for esports and and gamers, people that had to focus. So, you know, we, we targeted doctors, lawyers, anybody that had, if you have to focus on one task for more than five minutes, this was the drink and it didn't have sugars or any of the other garbage that all the, all the other drinks had. So that was kind of, our, my foray into gaming and esports. Again, I had to do like six or nine months worth of research to what it was because I didn't know anything about it. And then I'm like, the more I got into it, the more I actually started to fall in love with it. And I'm like, wow, these, this is actually a real sport. And he he studied that. That's what he did for Red Bull. He studied the hand-eye coordination and all these interactions. I'm like, holy Toledo, like you got to be a high-level athlete to perform. And then you start to look at the burnout. They're all under 21 years old. Nobody was that high level over 21 because they couldn't do it. You're three years and you're done. You could play NFL football longer than you could game at a high level. And I'm like, this is nuts. Like, I don't even understand how this is possible. And, and so I just started to learn all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, so focus and concentration. These kids, these young adults were drinking monsters, Red Bulls, and not one or two or three, but like five or six or seven every single day day in, day out. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, and when I say all of them were like, all the high level ones were all drinking stuff or taking Adderall, but doing it multiple times, like multiple times a day. And I'm like, all right, this is not good. Like from a health standpoint, this is not good. Like we're going to start seeing diabetes and all these health issues. And so what I try to do is start to get out there, get on these different pockets, do these different things to explain how, what sugar does. Holden went out and he was on podcast and we just went out to try to educate the consumers. This you're killing, you're slowly killing yourselves by this and you're not going to perform at the level. 
And here, here's what we did. We created something that was specifically designed for you to help you increase and improve your performance and your concentration. And we did it with all healthy ingredients. And so we chose, you know, he went and we, this, our main focus ingredients, like it's a South African plant that has like a lot of research. And, and so we put a lot of research and, and efficacy into what we were building to make sure we weren't, you know, talking on one hand and all profit driven the other. We were making sure that we came in with a good product and, and we got good traction to start. And, and what ended up happening ultimately is we ran out of money. So if you remember early last year, you know, in the startup world, startups were getting no investment. Um, and then at the same time, gaming, the esports community collapsed. So there was two things, two whammies that happened to us at the exact same time. Esports blew up. So at, in 2000, 2021, there were gaming esport companies raising hundreds of millions or billions of dollars or having billions of dollars with the valuations. Today, there's none. So everything was blowing up to the positive in 2021 and we're getting traction. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. 2022 hits Q4 of 2021. And then it, it kind of the, the scale kind of ex, it just accelerated through Q1 of 2021 where all funding to esports stopped and a lot of them went belly up and we ultimately ended up going belly up because again, we, Nobody was investing in a company that was, and unfortunately we had such a narrow focus, like we were gaming and esports, like that was our thing. And we were planning eventually to do multiple lines and grow, but we never had that opportunity. So at the time we were specifically focused on gaming and esports, gaming esports imploded, just like all the crypto and all that stuff. It just all imploded at the same time. And then funding coincide obviously when something blows up your funding is going to dry up too so it was a one-two hit and we ended up going out of business um but during that time and i i could we i could stop here and get into you know what this you know what the foundation is or we could you could ask a separate question no 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 if, if this segues go ahead please so when i started nutri gamer through that whole process, COVID hit too. So we had a couple like right away COVID hit. So, you know, we had funding secured, COVID hit, we had funding not secured. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of things that happened during that tenure at Nutrigamer. And it started right away, like within, we started in raising money in like February, COVID hit in like March. So we literally had signed LOA, like letters of agreement for, for funding for, for funds that that got pulled because COVID hit and they couldn't, you know, they were, they had other things on their side. So it hit really quick, like within six months of our starting and within a couple months of us going after funding, COVID hit and everything kind of blew up. Luckily I got ex accepted into an accelerator, which helped prolong everything. So during that time, you know, COVID was, we had to start working from home. Like there was a lot of this isolation thing. So obviously it affected us as a business because you can't go out and fundraise when you can't even go out and do anything and nobody's raising money or doing anything because you have COVID. So on the business side, it was not looking good. And then on the personal side, I saw all these people in the gaming community and in the military and the veteran community, like having, you know, suicidal ideation or actually committing like the suicide rates among youth and 
and the veteran and the active duty community was just off the roof. And the depression, like, you know, I, I don't even remember all the stats, but, you know, it's significantly increased social isolation, loneliness, all these stats that were not good were all blowing up to the negative. And I was like, all right, I'm in the gaming space. And I know through, because I did a lot of research in the gaming area that gaming connects people. So I'm like, how can I help? I see this youth now you know, starving for leadership, starving for this, these mentors, and they just don't have it. And, and then the veteran community starving for purpose and, and meaning and the active duty people starving for connection. Like, how can I, can I connect these two? And that's kind of when I thought of starting the Warrior Gamer Foundation, which is the shirt that I'm wearing now. And what our, our mission is at the foundation is really to promote health, wellness, and community shift through gaming. So the idea was, if I connect these groups, they can help each other. Right, because the youth get a good mentor with the veteran or active duty person, and the the veteran gets to have a purpose and a sense of meaning. Because as you transition out of service, what happens is you lose, you go from the A team to the C team, meaning you're part of a, a, a very a good unit, especially you know if you're special operations or whatever, and then you just go to be in a civilian where nobody just go do it, you know nobody cares, just go figure it out. What do you mean? I had a whole group. I had all this community and now I don't have anybody. And so this transition period, people were just having such big, such struggles with. And I'm like, well, this is a great way to give them, be a, give them part of a community and then get, let them to give back. And so that's what we started to do. And it really resonated. Like we started, we did our first event in 2021. So we started in 2020 did our first event in 2021 where we did this big event in Glendale, Colorado, and we did it with this international rugby tournament because I want to connect physical sports with gaming. So there's that connection and it helps both communities see eye to eye. Cause like I said, I was on the physical side. I'd never saw the gaming side until my eyes were wide open to it. And by encouraging that exposure between the two, I felt was good from a multiple, from multiple standpoints, but from getting people active to showing people, that have these preconceived notions that they're not just little nerds that are playing video games. They're actually like really interesting, really smart, very talented, driven people. And so changing the matrix and changing who, what the thought process was, was another thing. And so we did this amazing event. We had all the branches of the military there, including space force and coast guard. And we played this game called rocket league, which is basically cars with soccer. Cause you know, I didn't know, you know, I was only a couple of years into gaming. So I'm like, that's an easy sport for everybody to figure out. If I could figure it out, anybody can. So I was like, all right, we'll do that. And it went off really well. And, you know, um, we had the rugby guys coming in, like if the army was playing the rugby army and then vice versa, they would go out and watch the rugby. And it just, the connection and the community that it brought and some of these people hadn't seen each other since they were kid, you know, growing up in school together. And then they went their separate ways and just seeing this connection and community building was just amazing. And then that grew where we brought kids that had lost a parent. We brought more veterans on and, and then, you know, it, it really evolved to this overall community building aspect where now we're, we're kind of expanding where we've got a discord community, which is basically it's a online community where you could have meetings, you could host games, you could talk about how your day was. We have different rooms in 
you have a discord channel and then you have different rooms and we have probably 20 or 30 rooms, like room for each game. So like rocket league, NBA, 2k, halo, Valorant, you know, any game that you could think of smash bros, we have these rooms for them that you could go play pickup games. And then we have a mental health channel. We have a physical health channel and people post weight loss photos. And, you know, I deadlifted 300 pounds and, you know, I've been out for 10 years. I gained 50 pounds and now I've lost 30 of those 50. And so they try to, you know, it's, we try to inspire other people and try to give them that ability to be a part of something because that's ultimate at the end of the day, you're, you know, if you have other, you know, there's chemical things that's notwithstanding, but if you're just feeling lonely and you want to cause self-harm, but then you're, you get into a community, we've seen that that helps in most situations from doing that actual harm because you feel a part of something. And that's the, the reason why you want to do it is because you feel like you're all out there alone and nobody knows what you're feeling. And you have the sense you're not, whatever that, that you're not feeling is when you become part of this community, you, you become like you actually cared, cared for and welcome. So we invite everybody um, and we invite non-military too. And we, cause we, I want those that you to get in there, be a part of it so they could learn leadership and we could have these mentor opportunities so that's, you know, our, our main vehicle where we build community now is through our in-person events, but also through our, our Discord. And we're going to launch uh, online events here in 2024 where we build, we can do those anywhere in the world. And it just gets people together. Um, and, you know, Ken, who you know, runs our podcast. He's our, we've got three podcast hosts. He's our main host, um, co-host, and they've done an amazing job in building community through our Discord or through our podcast, because we bring on different leaders in the community and talk about different things. And, you know, anything from like what you do to, you know, um, Nick Lavery, we've had on who, you know, the first special forces operated to operate downrange with, uh, you know, one leg and he's got, I mean, his story is amazing. So, and we'll have CEOs on of different companies that are either physical or sports related. Um, we've really made a big impact in there. We've got a Twitch stream that we're going to be, we were running hard. We took a break and now we're running again, but the gentleman that kind of helps steerhead that is a quadriplegic. Um, and he's a former Marine and, you know, talking about adversity and becoming anti-fragile you go from a big, strong Marine squat, you know, benching 400 pounds to you can't even lift your arms up you know, the, the mental struggle that you go through and the adversity that you have to do to come to the other side, you know, I can't even explain that. So he kind of, you know, he talks about that when we're streaming, when he does his Twitch stream and how, you know, he's built now businesses. He's got two grandkids, like all that through his mouth because again, from neck down, he can't do it. So he's, he's gaming, talking and doing stuff on Twitch all through his mouth or his tongue or his lips. I don't even know how you could do like, to me, that's mind blowing. Like I'm definitely couldn't do that. Like I'm so like having him as part of that community. So it's really about inspiration and, and community building. And now we're kind of, we just, we're doing a partnership with the VA where we're going to, they realize that the veteran community in general is not necessarily going to the American legions and to the, you know, the VFWs like they used to. So how can we re-engage them and gaming is that vehicle. So we're going to be doing a series of events with the VA to help promote community and connection to give veterans that the ability to connect and reconnect with their, you know, fellow veterans. And we, again, we try to open everything up to non-military as well, just because I think that blending, we want people to build that community aspect. And so 
that that's a big deal for us. Um, we're going to be building some other things out in the in the gaming space and the community building space as well. I had uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman on a couple of times. He's the kind of renowned army psychologist. He was a ranger himself, I think. Um, but uh, he wrote a book called Assassination Generation. I know we touched on this when we spoke a while ago. But um, it was interesting because I remember when they said that video games were the cause for some of these you know, sh- school shootings and violence. And I rolled my eyes the same as everyone else did initially. But when he broke it down... And you think, firstly, the sleep deprivation that a lot of gamers have, especially if they're pounding those terrible drinks, they're staying up all night, they're taking out a roll. You know, then you add in, obviously, childhood trauma, psychiatric meds. But within that virtual world, and it was it was interesting. Firstly, the kind of first-person shooter, that operant conditioning. There are, sto- there are stories of shooters that were very accurate that never really held a gun before, which is terrifying. But um, but also that sense of hierarchy, to, to be a king in a game, because you're, you know, the geek in school. Um, it was just an interesting, you know, perception of all these layers. Now, what you've talked about is community and healing and everything. Has there been any discussion of the dark side of video gaming and, and how you guys are addressing that and pulling, you know, those potential lone wolves into the community? Yeah, and that's a great point because gaming itself is not the, the gaming in and of itself is not making anybody active shooters like that. It's the communities that they've, you know, some of these things like you could be in these that really nasty communities through gaming, that's going to lead you to doing harm, you know, harm. So it's, I always try to preface, it's not the games themselves. Like all these first person shooter games, there's zero chance that you're going to become an active shooter by participating in these games. You, but you participate in the game and then you get into the discord channel that all they talk about is, death and destruction well you know so it, it's getting you know it's it's really making sure that you're the part of a community like i said we're trying to create a healthy community and a positive anti-fragile community where leadership resilience and mindfulness are our three values well that's our community if you join a community and they're exact opposite and they're saying oh yeah look at them take it on and the man you know it's them it's this person and you're the colonial you know it's all that stuff and and you do it through gaming, then that's the, you're going to end up doing harm to others and, and becoming this really bad person. And and so it's, I, I think what we're trying to do is find people that maybe, I mean, I, once they're in there, I don't think we're going to, us as a foundation, we're not going to change that. It's the people that are on the peripheral that are like lost, maybe needs a community, needs something to be a part of. And if they grab them, then they're done. If we grab them, we could help save them. So we're trying to grab these people that are kind of just floating out. Well, they'd either want to be a part of something or that are floating out there and kind of in that sets outer space looking for something. And if they attach to this negative, they're going to jump right in. But if they attach to us, they're also going to jump in. So our job is to catch them before they go to this side and to really make sure that it's, we catch them on the bright side. Cause you know, once they start going down that rabbit hole, it's, you know, it, it takes a lot more than what we have to offer to, to get them back. But I think our job as a foundation, as, as a unit, is to provide a, a space where they could be a part of something and be a part of that community, get the connection that they're looking for and have a positive role model and a positive outcome of what they're looking for versus that other these other communities that are trying to get them in to do 
harm to themselves and others. It was like we talked about when you were younger. There's there's good mentors and there's bad mentors out there, and this is a prime example. So I don't think the kids. You know, especially when we were younger, there was this real push towards, you know, nature and nurture. And a lot of it was, oh, it's nature. It's genetic. Everything was genetic, you know. And I don't think that most kids in a kindergarten are thinking about shooting up a school. It's a vicious, I mean, excuse me, a perfect storm of all these different layers. But the number of people on the show that have been in a very, very dark place, most suicidal, some even homicidal, admitted to me. Um, and it was mentorship. You know, it was that right person that that made them take that right turn. So this sounds like another way of getting to this virtual community that unless you're in that community, you've got no way of, of accessing that that young boy or girl. Exactly. And one of the things that we're launching next year is a uh, Warrior Gamer Youth Program where we identify youth, maybe, you know, underprivileged youth or youth that are in crisis and pair them up with a veteran mentor to uh, to provide some of these services and to get them on the right track because if i'm 12 years old like i said remember that when i go back to my childhood that i don't know how i what are you 12 to 15 or something in junior high or 13 to 15 whatever you are in that sixth seventh and eighth grade that's a very pivotal point and if we're starting to identify some of these kids that might not have the leadership or the men like me not having a gymnastics coach you know if we don't have these mentors they they could be going in that wrong direction so by helping to identify obviously we are limited we're a small foundation but at least helping some people and getting them on the right path i mean one life saved is you know I, to me it so it's what it's all about is saving one life at a time and and then going after the next one and then the next one and the next one and then them giving back right and then the more that we save the more that we become a part of our community a lot of times they want to go back and you know pay it forward so they do that for others so then it just becomes a spider web of growth and connection well, speaking of mental ill health, when you look at your website, you talk about the issue with the veterans and 22 a day is kind of a you know rough number, you know, disputed, but seems to be somewhat accurate. And then in my profession, we lose roughly twice as many to suicide now than other what we call line of duty deaths. Um, but you had a statistic, and please correct me, it was eight kids age 15 to 27, did I get that right? Suicide is the second leading cause of death. It's somewhere, yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but it's somewhere, yeah. And it's because they're, that, especially now, and I think I don't have the updated like through 2023 because I'd love to see the post-COVID numbers, pre-COVID and post-COVID numbers, but Probably I would worse. bet money that they've all they've all increased. Yeah. Because this socialized, and, and that's why we're really trying to expand our services and what we do as a, as, a, as a foundation because I think there's so much more. But I would bet, because of COVID and everything that when you're saying to lock, stay at home, don't go out, you're going to get sick. And they were, you know, now we, we're realizing all the stuff that we were told is probably not correct, but it's had this mental health effect. If I'm a young person, I, it changes my whole life view. And so what we're trying to do is give you an alternative life view that it's more optimistic and more positive and the connection community building. And, and so through gaming as a way to connect to this generation, because that's how they, they're all online. And so to us, it's a big, big deal to help connect these people and to provide them opportunities to offload some of the things that they may be holding or resenting or, or feeling. And what about the type of game? You know, you talked about the, um, oh my goodness, what was it called again? League, Rocket League. Astros. My yeah, son plays Rocket, that. Yeah, Rocket um, League, yeah. 
and then but then again dave grossman talks about grand theft auto where you're running around shooting police officers and prostitutes and i think he said that that one game grossed more than the entire music industry combined which blows my mind if that's the case but you know with the diverse spectrum i mean you could you could argue porn and other things there there's you know most of these genres have from you know relatively mundane through to disgusting um how do you curate which games make it into this is there are there kind of bookends to it yeah we don't have anything to do with grand theft auto but we try to do the games that are really most interesting to the to the our users but also aren't on the extreme like you're saying right so we try to stay in that middle of the road um you know call of duty world of warcraft smash bros rocket league you know minecraft for the younger people so it's it's more mainstream you know again grand theft auto is massive but that's not necessarily doesn't teach some of the things that we may do right so you know we haven't touched grand theft auto but we do do first person shooter games because that's what a lot of veterans and military play. So you have like Valorant, like we do, we host a Valorant tournament. So we do host first person shooter games, but there's no core. I don't think there, you know, I can't, I haven't seen any correlation between that other than just community building and being a part of something. So we do, you know, based on just our, who we are kind of eliminate some and maybe include others just to, to make sure that we're focused on the right things and achieving our mission. Has there been any sort of knock-on positive effect after the film Gran Turismo? I took my son to see that about two months ago. Amazing, amazing story. And again, it's the application, like you said, of the virtual world into the real world. I haven't seen... Directly, I haven't seen anything, but I mean, it could have offset, you know, secondary effects. But from that one thing, I don't, I haven't seen anything to say, you know, per se, but it, it definitely could have. I just haven't seen it in our community. Okay. And again, we're the... focused on more military, you know, we're focused on different things and maybe that's why, but. Yeah. You can't just go to war for real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing though, because then that was just it. And now you could see now how someone in the video game world was like, huh, what if I did start go-karting or you know and then all of a sudden they're doing both they're inside but they're also outside and i think that's i love that the fusion of the both the rugby with the you know with the players because that's what we need i mean i have nothing against gaming my son you know games once in a while but it's a balance of that and you know sports and all these other things and now you become a well-rounded kid but sadly as you said especially with the freaking pandemic and everyone being told that they were basically all these children were murderers because they were killing their grandparents and you know they graduate from school and then there's no jobs and handouts for two years and then we wonder why they're struggling to to adapt um you know it was really it was a really inspiring story i, I urge people to watch it with their children that yeah. yes you can you can have both. This can be maybe a, a key to the door, but there's a real world out there that arguably is even more exciting than your virtual world. And that's, I, I say we're fighting an uphill battle because of COVID and everything that that's, you know, all the negative side effects that they had that maybe they realized when they were doing all this, but you know, that it's had now on this generation. And so we were definitely fighting an uphill battle and that, but we do like, you know, our mission is promote health, wellness, and community ship through gaming. Gaming is the mechanism, but what we're doing is we're focused on those four, you know, you know, health, wellness, and community ship. So 
that's so important because, and that's why we have to integrate the physical side and the physical sports and the drone racing and the STEM stuff that we do, because there is more than gaming. And what we try to do is get them to expand that to community, to play. And that play is outside, inside, could be rugby. It could be other sports. We just find rugby is a great sport because if you're doing rugby at a high level, you're doing it because you love it, not because you're making a hundred million dollars a year. So there's a big difference there. So, um, you know, we try to really promote, you know, we talk about the health aspects of it and the, you know, like I said, I've been trying to cut Red Bull and all those drinks out for years, six years. So, you know, it's trying to show them and be through positive role models through lifestyle, right? They see it, you do it. We, we approach other people, they start doing it. And then it just becomes this snowball effect, which we've had the snowball going in the wrong direction, you know, since COVID. And now we're trying to push that snowball uphill. And, and it's definitely a challenge, but I think people are starting to see it. And we're getting a lot of interest from other parties that, uh, that, that see it as well. Now, totally different tangents. I know it's exa- not exactly what we're talking about, but it would seem, again, from someone who is not in the military and the outside looking in, that the more we progress technologically, the more war seems to almost come through a video game format. That someone is controlling a drone that may be hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. And so you're almost video gaming now. Have you seen that kind of bridge between your world and maybe even what they're looking for recruitment-wise in the military? Yeah, I mean, that's why I think we're doing a lot more with the military because in the future, recruiting is going to they're going to recruit gamers no matter what they want or no matter what they think. If 70% of us households have at least one gamer in them. So if we know that 70% of households have one gamer in them, and we also have the highest percent of adults 18 to, I forgot the exact age that are not eligible for, to, to, for service because of physical health or whatever, there's a problem. So if we're not addressing it as a DOD and the military, then we're our recruitment number, we're never going to hit our recruitment numbers. So how can we, as a, as a foundation, help the future of, of the military and the Department of Defense and just the health of people? Well, that's through what we're doing, is through connecting gaming and connection through these other things. So the, the military is starting to look at like ways that they can help their population both attract new people because it's going to be through STEM and this technology but they also have to make sure they're healthy enough to be able to be active duty and be deployed. And so by promoting the health and wellness and then the community ship through gaming, that allows us to kind of be that bridge of like providing, you know, hopefully this, and again, we're still small, so we're not even on the same planet yet, but aspirational goals are we do grow and we're, we're really getting to that where we could actually affect a little bit of change in, into that area where we have more highly qualified recruits in we were more mentally stable veterans and, and uh, the overall population of, you know, 18 to 34 year olds. Brilliant. So potentially you might even find full circle from what you were trying to do in the indigenous populations with the military population instead from a recruit level. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't even draw that parallel, but you're hundred percent right is how do we, and I've always been like, even like everything I do is really involving community and, and building community. So foundation, whatever it's, it's building community. It's building connection. Cause I, I identified that a dozen, not even a dozen. Yeah. A dozen years ago or 10 years ago, at least into that's, that's a missing gap. And that's what I saw CrossFit doing is also not just working out, but why was CrossFit so successful? Cause it was creating community. 
and that community and connection. So I've, I've known this or seen this as a, as a way to help for the last decade. I didn't see it before then, but once I saw CrossFit, I learned, and then I started, you know, doing all my other stuff. Everything that I do is community based because it starts at community and then it builds from there, right? If we build a strong community, we could build healthier, more resilient people, which then could be, you know, whether they're a veteran community, just in overall population or the youth that maybe want to, you know, join the military and be, you know, have a career path through that, or they want to have a STEM career. We could help with either one. It's just getting involved and being a part of it and providing that those healthy role models that are driving leadership and becoming better leaders. When COVID happened, what really saddened me is there was no better time in my lifetime for a captive audience to really change some of the elements that are causing such ill health and disease and death in, in our country. And the low hanging fruit is obviously the schools. So the potential to bolster PE programs, to put real food back in the cafeterias, to get rid of the soda machines with your holistic lens. What are some of the things that you wish we'd done during COVID and maybe someone listening might be able to put into effect now instead? Well, I would do the exact opposite of everything we did. I'm, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> scientist, anything like that. But now looking back, you could say that if we would have kept them healthy outside and active, none of this, you know, most of the stuff would happen, especially if I'm, you know, my demographic, 18 to 34, like definitely not. And now we're saying they want to go up higher. So we might even be hitting like in the 40s. So, you know, 18 to 40. Um, so if we would have done that with that demographic, we wouldn't be in a lot of this situation. So like, we used to have the presidential fitness award. They cut that out, but that was a big part of getting kids active and healthy. And Arnold was a part of it and he started it. And so, or I don't know if he started it, but he was a major part of it. Cause I remember back then in the eighties and we stopped all that. So I, I think, you know, we used to do physical stuff in, in, in sport and, and push it in school. They don't do that anymore. I mean, my kids did it, but not to, it wasn't encouraged. Right. And there was no standard. And so I, I think re-instituting re physical standards of play, we don't play, right? So there's no more play. We used to play on the playground, get hurt, you bruise your, you know, now it's like, oh my God, you, you script your, your, your chin. Let me go take you to the doctor. No, put some, you know, rub some dirt on it and get back out there. Like that's what I did with my girls. Like they're fine. I never be like, oh baby, are you okay? Like, no, no, no. get out there, go play. So I, I think, pushing them a little bit to be uncomfortable, to get, you know, scratched up and to do that. I would definitely say that's, that's a big thing that we can be doing to build more resilient kids that become healthier, pushing more physical activity on them and really encouraging outside time and saying, play, you know, inside on your video games, but also go play outside, you know, capture the flag was big. Now I don't even think they play. My kids never play. There was nothing even about capture the flag. Like that was the biggest game that we played when I was, you know, in middle school, which kept me out of a lot of trouble through high, through junior high, like that's the best game ever for kids. Like I have the best memories playing that. So there's a lot of these, these games that we don't play anymore because for whatever reason, not politically correct or whatever, that we need to reinstitute and start playing more. And, and, you know, we try to play at the foundation, encourage play. So play, getting outside, being healthy, you know, community, what do we do with COVID? We cut community. Community was no longer anything. If you're a part of a temple or a church, you can't go. 
that what does that do to anybody? Forget a kid, anybody's mental health when you're stuck at home. If you're a single person and you're stuck at home, what is that going to do? You're going to get into some online and, you know, that's where porn became so popular and all these unhealthy things, because what else are you going to do? I mean, I don't blame them, right? I mean, what you have 24 hours, I mean, you sleep, but you have 18 hours a day to do something. You're not working because work's closed and you're not doing this. You can't go out because you're going to die. And so like playing community, you know, physical health, eating properly, like we're told not to eat, you know, don't worry about what you eat, like pushing health, drinking water or some, you know, electrolytes like we do now. Like there's so many things that we could have pushed instead of be scared and, oh, you're, you're a victim and you're this and that. And now you look at this victim mentality of a lot of these people and you can't succeed in life and be happy if you have this victim mentality. I always refer to the book, Carol Dweck, Mindset. She has a fixed mindset and growth mindset. What I, what I think the biggest thing with COVID is it pushed people from a growth mindset to a fixed mindset because it made them a victim. As soon as you become a victim, you have no control. So every, you push power up, everybody else has control. Can you just tell me what to do or give me this service or give me that service? Because I don't have the ability to do it myself because I'm a victim. So I, I think that's the biggest thing is like taking responsibility back to ourselves having a growth mindset and believing that we actually are capable of growing and doing good and, and helping other people and helping ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, there was little critical thinking by a lot of people, you know, it was like, I always refer to the Flanders fields in world war one, just pick a trench. Which one do you want to be in? Right. Fight till you die. Are you pro or anti-vax masks, you know, Trump, whatever it was, you know, it was just, and, and in the middle people were going, what? What the fuck is wrong with you people? You know, yes, it's a real virus, but no, it's not going to murder everyone. Yes, there are people that are really vulnerable that we need to protect, but we also need to keep the world running. Our kids should be able to play. They're not getting sick. We don't let go and let them lick grandma's face right after. I mean, there was so much common sense that was just discarded. And I think that's a great analogy. People, when you make people scared, and I and I am disgusted by people who call themselves leaders that did anything you know, like that, that told people just to stay in their homes and shut all the gyms and parks. I get the first couple of weeks. Everyone, everyone I've had on the show has said the first couple of weeks, we had no idea what was going on. We were all poised. But then when we started seeing, oh, okay, thank, thank goodness. Great news, everyone. It's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. Still bad for some people, not as bad for a lot of us. You're going to get ill. It's going to suck, but you're going to be okay. We can hold the fort down while we protect, you know, the, the young, the old, the infirm. Um, but it wasn't and it was a complete abuse of power by so many and the and the the ripple effect the ill health and mental ill health that they caused by those horrendous decisions you know i mean i think you know we sh we should we should have a flogging a public flogging of anyone that called themselves a leader that did that in this last couple of years and then to say it was about health and not have changed a fucking thing when it comes to the health of the population disgusting that we should have cleaned house and started again that's just my personal opinion well look at how polarized we are now like everything is like if you're not this you're that like everything has gone to the extremes and that's 100 because we weren't like that before covid everything has gone so polarized if you believe that i'm like dating like it's you know i'm a democrat i'm not gonna like it's just gotten so crazy like what about the people that are just in the middle like i'm just a normal person like i just want to everybody you know but I'm not going to play victim and I'm not going to take this entitlement. You, you're going to tell me to take the vaccine or I can't do this. Like, no, no, no. We still have free rights. We're still a free country and we still could make our own decisions. 
I'm not going to live under, you know, that's why I live in the United States and not in another country because we still have rights. And, and so they took all that away from us. I remember going to uh, um, California during, I went to a conference and I, I, I'm not vaxxed. And so, and when they wanted your vax card, when you get in, and that's just my personal belief. So I don't want to get, you know, political or anything. But it's not I, even political. That's what's yeah, so sad. Right. It's it's just Josh doesn't want a vaccine. It's yeah. that I didn't want kids to get it. I didn't want to get it. I, I didn't believe in it. But I'm young, healthy. Like if you're 80 years old and you want to get it, go for it. Like that's no big deal. But for a healthy 40-some-year-old, I didn't believe it was necessary. And I didn't see any research support of that. So I wasn't going to put something on body that I didn't believe. So I was at a conference in LA and I spent 2000 I was a for a gamer. I spent $2,000 to get there. And they're like, oh, you can't get in. What do you mean? Well, you don't have a vax, but I have COVID. Yeah, but you have to have a vaccine. I said, well, that's not acceptable. I said, I spent $2,000 to get here. I'm in LA. I had to drive here. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm, this is unacceptable. Well, if you go to a center and get tested and get your whatever card that shows that you don't have COVID, well, where is the closest one? So I ended up having to go spend a couple hours of my time and just to get a, a negative PCP or whatever the PR, whatever that test is called mm -hmm. to show that I was not, that I didn't have COVID. And so it cost me $120 to get the test because I had to get a fast turnaround, walk back there, yelled, like argued with them again. They finally let me in, but, and then there were restaurants where they wouldn't let you in. So I had to pick what restaurant I could go to LA because you had to show your VAX card at, on entrance. Like, we're, we're, I'm a Jewish, like, where, where are we? Do I have to show my little thing here to say that I'm, you know, a Jew? Like, this is insane. I, so I was 100% against that. And so I'm glad I've lived in Arizona, not California, because I'm not, you know, I'm not about being told what I have to and I can't do and that I have to show, I have to wear a badge saying that if I'm good or if I'm not good, like that's to me is we're, we're in a different country here and I'm not, you know, we're not in that country. So I, I saw that and I'm like, this is insane. You couldn't go in New York. Like New York was shut down. Like there was no restaurant in New York that I refused. I haven't been to New York since. You know, there are certain places where you just couldn't go. And then there are places like Florida, Texas, Arizona that, you know, we, we were able to go and no matter, you know, anywhere within three months after COVID. And nobody, our death rates were lower than California and New York. <laughs> so it's crazy. So that's that, you know, I, I, I had very strong opinions and beliefs on that. And now it's all proven out everything that I thought I had no evidence, just my beliefs, but just pure health and wellness. Like if you're a healthy person, you're going to get less sick than if you're a sick, overweight person, those ended up being reality. And so, you know, that that's kind of why I made my decision. Just I'm a health and wellness guy and I based my life around health and wellness and community and being healthy. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I was saying from day one. I even put an extra episode per week out because it was conversations like this I was putting out, nutritionists and chiropractors and you know farmers and everyone that was bringing information that would make a human being healthier and give them some autonomy. All right, I'm going to start growing tomatoes in my back garden. I'm going to start doing push-ups. I'm going to meditate. These are actionable things that someone can actually get a little bit healthier. But the other irony, and I, ha I had the shot because I went to visit my 104-year-old grandmother I'm like, okay, my personal opinion, would I have had it if I wasn't traveling? No, but I got it to travel to go see her, you know, and had the test and wore the mask and all that stuff because she was the other side of the scale. And I wanted to see her because obviously, clearly at that age, she wasn't going to be around much longer. But um, 
even that one trip cost me $800 in tests, 800 bucks with a vaccine. Um, but then the, the, going back to your thing about the card, it's a piece of card with a, with a signature on. So there was, it wasn't even like it was a hundred dollar note. <laughs> they put a special pen on and hold up to the light. So it, it was just, ah, oh, it was ridiculous. And then what really drove me crazy is then men and women that have held the front line, doctors and nurses and firefighters and medics and police officers and corrections and, you know, custodians and everyone that's out there running the world while we're all hiding, watching fucking Tiger King. Then you have the audacity to call them murderers because they didn't get the vaccine when it was developed a year later, that you were fine oh, that, yeah. being exposed before. And then fast forward, the efficacy is basically heads or tails. You know what I mean? When you were telling everyone it was 100%. So that's what I had an issue with. I have some vaccines. We have to as a firefighter. And there was one of the arguments, well, you have to have vaccines. Why not this one? Well, because the other one's been around a long time and they actually work. You know, I don't get the flu shot because that's also a Russian roulette if you hit the right strain for that year. And so to say that you're going to steal someone's job, take their job and their family's livelihood and potentially lose their house and maybe even be the final straw for them taking their own life on a fairy tale that your vaccine is 100% effective. And if you just have that done, you're going to save the fucking world. Again, disgusting. And those people should also be out tied to a fucking tree and whipped. <laughs> that's well, just my personal opinion my uh one thing that really upset me was the fact that they were telling me that i was causing i was the cause remember all these actors and these celebrities and they, well it's the unvaxxed that are causing spreading this and this and that and, th and then it comes out oh wait no that's completely false there's zero change whether you're vaxxed or not vaxxed you're spreading it either way and so i was like all those people should be fired because you had doctors i was going like i was dating at the time and I would go out with this doctor and we, like, we got in a big argument and she's like, you're the problem. You know, like, obviously that was the only first and only date, but like people like that, that were just like believing everything they're told, like they're, they're like order takers. They have no thought process other than here's what you should know. Here's what you have to repeat. And you know, like they're little minions. And so we had all these minions and, and they're not just minions. I mean, these are doctors, government officials, and then celebrities you're the problem, you're shame on you, shaming us, trying to like make us feel bad. So then we would go like, that's very, I mean, that's what they're doing like in this propaganda war with Hamas and all that. Like, this is very dangerous. Like we're on the, this is like the stuff that they were doing and pushing gets into the realm of very, you know, you, we're, we're no longer a, a capitalist society. We're, we're becoming like a socialist or communist country by that. Well, again, I mean, this is my personal opinion. What we've seen in Gaza, and it was interesting because at first it was like, oh, poor Israel, and then all of a sudden it shifted. Oh, what, what? Oh, poor Palestine. And the reason that they're struggling is because men, women, and children were murdered from both sides. That's where the empathy you're actually feeling—the insanity that we have these conflicts, stealing lives of people that arguably could probably live amongst each other and realize they have a lot in common. But again, tyranny—the few—cause the death of the masses, and this is. Again, that's what I see, and I'm so far removed from that particular thing, but I just feel empathy for all the people caught in the crossfire. You know, Jewish, Muslim, Palestinian, Israeli, it's just human beings that want to watch their kids grow up and watch them be excited about a new career and exercise and play sports and fall in love, and they can't because they're buried under rubble. That's what's fucking sad about this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, and I could get on a whole tirade on that, but I think the the biggest eye-opening experience for me through all this 
is being how the media and certain people on certain a certain side have kind of gone against you know Jews and and made this all about Hamas. Like you see pro Hamas, you know pro Palestinian pro Hamas rallies on all these college campuses. If you're a Jew walking on Harvard campus, you're in danger. If you're a Jew on Columbia's campus, you're in danger. To me, that's absolutely. That's the most insane thing. The amount of anti-Semitism that this has drawn is, I, I've never seen any, my parents have never seen it. Like my grandparents maybe have, but like, and they're not alive, but from a living generation, unless you're a Holocaust survivor, like I don't think the level of anti-Semitism has ever been as high as it is today right now, which is mind blowing to me. Mind -blowing. Do you think though, quite, I mean, I, again, totally removed, but, what I have seen time and time again, COVID, all of a sudden, supposedly, according to CNN, everyone hates Asians. I'm married to an Asian, by the way, but apparently America hates Asians, you know, and now this happens and now everyone's anti-Semitic. Do you think that it's that or are we once again being fed? We're giving the freaking extremists the microphone yet again. And they're projecting how the whole country feels. Um, well, that's our media, right? So our yeah. media is all about that. So. <laughs> Yes. But the problem this time, well, it happened a few years ago too, but I think the problem this time is the young people and that what they're being taught about, we're colonialists and this and, you know, so I, I think it's gone to a more extreme in this case because the media perpetrates this and New York Times posts, you know, uh, Israel hits hospital. They never hit a hospital, nor did they kill 500 people. But when you have your mainstream media pushing all this stuff, and then it goes down to the professors and then they're teaching their kids, especially in these different, you know, study programs in these colleges. And then they go out and start to rally. I think it is different in the fact that this divisiveness is now growing. And then you have outside parties like our, our friends in China and, and Russia propagating it and helping to push it. Like if, if we look at how are all these pro Hamas things getting funded, they have professional flags and all this kind of stuff. who's funding all that. Like, mm -hmm. I don't nobody, nobody, the media is not asking that. And that's a big question that we need to ask because we have evidence that in certain marches and other, you know, within a few years ago, it was directly funded by Chinese subsidiaries or Russian subsidiaries. So I think if we want to look at who's sowing this discontent in our country, we need to look outside our country to see who's doing that. And obviously that's going to be very controversial. But I think if we look at the facts, we'll find that. So unfortunately, it's finding a way onto college campuses now. And and now starting to get, really get, it, it, I mean, look what the rioting that happened, you know, in 2021, like, and now it's, it's just happening again, but now it's those same people are doing it. Not all of them, obviously, but a lot of those same people are doing it and, and doing, you know, all this like gays for Hamas or gays for Palestine. If they're in Palestine, they're getting killed. Queers for Palestine, they're getting killed. Like that's, they're not in the real world. Like these people are not understanding real world, but if they continue to, propagate and grow the downstream effects are going to be very damaging for our society and that's what i worry about is these kids that don't have any idea about history or culture and they're being taught this if they keep that on as they become they get into the workforce that's where there's a lot of we're going to have some problems and so that's my concern so i i, I do think the media highlights it and propagates it but now like it's actually it's it, it goes from just a propaganda to actually becoming a movement. And that's where I think there's a problem, right? Is 
it's all, you know, we want you to watch the news and we're going to do this and we're anti because they're all about, the, you know, anti-colonizer. So it's, you know, Israel's a colonizer, so we're going to be against them. And so, but where does that lead? Where does that lead downstream? And that's my concern is where does this go to? And that's very concerning to me and for my children. I just flew out of uh, Heathrow Airport. And um, if you watch the film Love Actually, the opening scene, I think it's Heathrow. And, you know, you just see how beautifully diverse. And obviously some, some are Londoners, you know, and some are, are tourists. But I was standing in line waiting to do the bag drop off. And I was just watching behind the counter were all, you know, colors and creeds and every, all the ones, you know, all the people that were waiting to go on the plane and they were interacting with each other. And I'm like, this, this is England. This is America. This is what we actually are. And I agree with you 100% with the history side. There's only one real common denominator through all the tragedy and, you know, contributed by humans in history is that a tyrannical few have decided they want all the power and all the money. And then they, which is a lot easier to do back in the day, dupe a population into hating another population, and then off you go. And so uh, the whole kind of woke push, and I, I see it and it's nauseating, you know, these people that have had incredible lives up to this point, but because of pigmentation, you know, are acting like they were actually themselves on a slave ship, for example, or, you know, whatever it was. Because um, my country was raped and pillaged by Saxons and Danes and Vikings and all kinds of things. And I don't think there's any uh, apology to the British people from Scandinavia because that was a long time ago. And it doesn't mean that you go, oh, it was fine. It wasn't fine. But all you can change is right now. And all we can do is learn from history, which is why like, when they were pulling down the statues, don't pull the statues down, the slave owners, just change the plaque. Hey, let me tell you about this piece of shit and what he did. Leave it there in the town. Remind yourself of the horrible things that happened. Go to the slave museum in Charleston, South Carolina, and educate yourself on what the British and the Portuguese and the Dutch and the you know, the Americans did during that time. And learn and don't let it happen again. That's how you honor the you know the generations, and that's how you get you know people in Gaza and and all over the world, Ireland, Belfast, you know, that are literally brethren up to the point where they've drawn lines and been pigeonholed by certain groups to finally be able to kind of stand side by side again. I know it sounds very purist, but that's what we need. We've been divided and divided. And you listen to people talking about, you know, the stuff on social media. And yes, I've had lots of people in that world that said, absolutely, the Chinese and the Russians are behind some of these bots that are, you know, pro-Trump or pro-Biden or whatever, and getting people arguing with each other. But if we pick our head up out of our devices and look around, how many race wars are going outside your fucking door right now? Probably not. So be part of the solution rather than, you know, dividing yourself virtually over a nation that's a thousand miles away that you don't even understand. Fix your fucking household and then start fixing your own community. Well, and that's where they're push divisiveness. Like I, I grew up in Chicago, like we're all melting, like we're everybody, right? So that's that's how I grew up. So that's why this discontent and what they're pushing is so interesting to me. I mean, just looking at what happened with TikTok and the Osama bin Laden thing and how all these young people are praising bin Laden and saying, oh my God, if you haven't read it, like when I was seeing that, like, I'm like, there's, that's, there's no way. Like, there's no way that these young people that live in our country that have all the privileges of the United States are saying, oh my God, you got to read bin Laden's diary and his letter to America. Like, Wait, wait, whoa, whoa. Talk to any military member who served. Go visit the 9-11 memorial. Like, 
do you like what plan? Like, that's where I'm like this disconnect that they're pushing. I'm like, these kids like have never, and what I realized is they've never dealt with any adversity. And so like, if they're called the wrong thing or whatever, then they get offended. And now they read all this stuff where we're the colonizers and we're this and we're bad and we're this. And then where does that lead to? I, I don't know, but I, I can't think it's good when you're praising bin Laden who, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, that when it, if there's no, if there's definition of evil, I would think it would be bin Laden, but you know, what do I know? Yeah. But this is the problem as well is I'm sure, you know, if you put it down to a percentage of the number of people that think that there would be a point and then lots of zeros before the one, you know what I mean? And it's the same oh, with they've got loud voices. Yeah, exactly. The, it's the same the with majority, like the, the silent. It's that we're the silent majority, but they're the vocal minority. Exactly. Because that sells advertising space. That's all the news is about is selling your damn drug commercial space in between your shitty news, which is exactly the same left and right. It's the same fucking formula. It's blatantly obvious. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's like this transgender athlete thing. Like that's a two minute conversation. Hey, I've transitioned. I want to compete. Okay, beautiful. We're going to create two new divisions, transition to male, transition to female. All right, done. Any other questions? That's all it should have been. And it was like a six-month conversation. And you know, still so getting women knocked so out by men in, in yeah. cages. And, you know, so if if we, like you said, the majority had just said, look, we absolutely want to make it fair. One of my guests was in the gay game. There's a, there's a gay Olympics, and she competes in that. She was the same opinion with this. Like, if you were biologically a man and you transitioned, that is fantastic. But the same way as, you know, if I'm a boxer and I'm 200 pounds, they don't let me compete against a 100 pound fighter. We have divisions for a reason to make it fair. It's not about your gender, sexuality, prejudice. It's just making it fair and safe. Yeah. So, but if you give that person the microphone and walk away, they're going to keep fucking yapping all day while the rest of the world is like, why are we still talking about this? And this is the problem. I know it's deliberate, but again, we need to rise up and just be like, all right, we're taking that microphone back. Let's work on the violence in our schools, the homeless cr crisis, the obesity epidemic, the uh, the overdoses with fentanyl. Let's talk about things that are killing hundreds of thousands of people, can we? And then, yes, you're sorry, you're going to have to go compete against people that transition to the same gender. Can we move yeah. on? Yeah, it's very. It's if you let it be simple, it's simple. But then, if it's simple, then it doesn't give you all the news eyeballs, and you can't talk about it and argue about it. So. That, there's obviously an agenda on why all that is happening. It's yeah. not because it could be a real simple, like you said, it's a, it, one 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 line or two. We're adding two divisions. It's it, easy done, but that's way too easy, and that doesn't give you the conflict and what they're looking for. So that's there's an agenda. They're following the agenda, and unfortunately, there's a lot of like the lady who just lost the um, swimming in the NC2As. You know, that's and she's fighting it, but nobody takes no. There's no media source pushing her because she's not. What is she? That there's no story there. Yeah, it's just a female that lost to a male. Like, well, but he was identified. You know, so that's there. That's that's the problem. Is they highlight the guy, they don't highlight the girl. Absolutely. Well, we took a massive tangent there, so let me just get us back to the the closing questions. But I think it's an important conversation. I haven't gone down those roads for a while, so thank you. Um, firstly, with Warrior G Gamer, um, where can people find that online, whether they've got kids they want to get involved themselves or if they know veterans? So our website would be the first place to start, and that's warriorgmrfoundation.org, warriorgmrfoundation.org. 
and we have links. You get a hold of us. You could join our Discord directly from our Discord from our website. You could follow our socials from there. You could see. I don't have any upcoming events on there yet because we don't have the dates confirmed. But I'll have all, all the upcoming events. We should have at least probably half a dozen in-person events in 2024. So those will go up as we get the dates confirmed. Um, you could join our um, podcast. We've got all our episodes up on YouTube. So, you know, there's, we offer plenty of different things, but everything I would say starts at the website and then you can kind of branch off depending on your interests. Brilliant. All right. Well, first of the closing questions, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today, which has been quite diverse or completely unrelated. Um, there's a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which I should probably not use anymore because I think that's probably the most recommended book in history. It's amazing though. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, it just really talks about the mindset, right. And about, you know, you could tell the people that we're going to die versus the people that we're going to live based on their mindset. And I think that you just take that overall, obviously everybody does already. So, but you take that to overall life and how do you you view life? There's another book called the choice by uh, I'm blanking on her name another out, uh, Auschwitz survivor and same thing, but she does, she views it a little differently from more like a female lens. So I think they're really good. Both uh, are really good together, but the choice and I'm blank and I wish I knew her name because she just passed away in March. Very amazing. Like I, I was brought to, I don't cry much. I listened to her podcast. I forgot which one and it brought me tears. Um, those would be two books that I would highly recommend because it just, with everything going on in today day and age, I think they're great to ground you and to just bring, you know, help lift you up. I had an amazing guest on who was an Auschwitz survivor. She was a ballet dancer when she was young. She was forced to dance for Joseph Mengele. Um, the thing called Dr. Death, I think. Um, was I mean, brutal. She barely survived Auschwitz. She got out with her sister, which is miraculous. Her parents were killed. Um, and uh she was Hungarian originally, got back to Hungary, and then she became a psychologist, Dr. Edith Eager is her name. And I yeah, had that's her on that's episode. The, yeah, that's that's the choice. That's her book. Yep. She Dr. didn't pass Edith away Eager. though. She's still she's still alive. Oh, I thought she passed away. Okay. No, so you can pull your tears back in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, she's still going. She's an incredible woman. Yeah. So I had her on. It was it was literally I'm halfway through to a thousand, and and I was like, I can't think of a better guess. But to this day, she's have, still yeah. talking about you know forgiveness and love. You know, as as a Jew and as someone who's truly seen atrocities during the Holocaust. Excuse me. Um, you know, it's so powerful to listen to her speak. But her, yeah, her books. That's why I was thinking. Oh, I was looking yeah, back there. Yeah. I thought it was her yeah. book. Yeah. Um, yeah, phenomenal. I, I mean, talk about forgiveness. Around. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, then that's books. What about films and or documentaries that you love? Um, you know, my well, my from a just a fun standpoint, the Gladiator, just because what his devotion to his family and stuff is just amazing. So I, I that was my probably top, you know, um. Going back to the Schindler's List and then um, Lone Survivor, you know, I think just the stories of just and obviously you could see mine always go to stories of resilience and overcoming like adversity because all all three, you know, all those movies, that's what they deal with. Right. So I, I those are my like go to, uh, you know, Gladiator. Somebody says, what's your favorite movie ever? I say Gladiator. Just because I just love and it's more not just the movie itself. It's the the 
going through his journey and being that devotion to his family is really what I just, it resonates with me. Yeah. That's amazing how many books or films are said over and over again. Rocky is another one that people talk about, you know, the underdog story, but yeah, Gladiator is definitely one that people adore. All right. Well, the next question, is there a person that you would recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? That's a great, I mean, if you, if you had an ability to bring on another podcast, so Sean Ryan is amazing. Um, Sean Ryan or Mike Ritland from Mike Drop Podcast. Mike's been on. Sean hasn't yet, but okay. I'm working on it. Yeah. So he would be, I think, an amazing guest. Yeah. Yeah. And he's done incredibly well. And actually, I've got mutual friends. I need to actually, I haven't physically tried to get the connection yet, but the way he interviews, the way he gives space for people to really, you know. Oh, he's the best interview. Yeah. He's probably one of the best interviews I've ever seen. He, he draws all the personal stuff out of you. Nick Lavery would be another one too, like non-podcast guy, but just an amazing story. Nick Lavery. And we had him on. That's I know his story, but there's always different angles because he was on uh, Sean Ryan's show, completely different angle. So you could still interview him. And I think it would be completely unique. And his pers- he's just he, his, he's got an amazing story. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, he's been on my radar, but again, I haven't reached out yet because they call him Machine Gun Nick Ravery on, yeah, on Instagram, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, the machine is like, yeah. Brilliant. All right. Well, then the last question before we make sure people know where to find you specifically, what do you do to decompress? Um, I box, I work out, I meditate and I do sauna. I do a lot of like self-care things that I do to kind of take care of myself just to unwind and to relax. But I really enjoy boxing and just the, whatever's going on during the day, you go into the ring, it's different and it changes everything. Or you hit the weights hard, do some crazy work, CrossFit workout, you know, you're, whatever you're thinking or whatever happened the day, it goes away. So I, I really like that. And I started doing hot yoga and uh, that same, that's very similar. It's you just, you're in there and you're just, I mean, I drip when I say like, I have a, I, I have a puddle around me. I, I don't know how much I lose. I never weighed myself before and after I lose at least five pounds, all water. And, and so those are some of the things that I do just to kind of unwind and, or, go shooting with my daughter you know that's a great way for me just to have fun and connect with my youngest as we go shooting every week when you are sparring in boxing what do you do as far as level of contact knowing the the tbi element these days so we try not to go heavy on the head um that's my biggest thing is like i don't when we're sparring it's more body not as much to the head just because obviously i don't you know i'm 48 years old i'm not trying to i'm going to do a competition next year which obviously will i will get hit but and in the sparring and everything like that, it's mostly like from here down. Gotcha. Brilliant. All right. Well, then you talked about where we could find the Warrior Gamer Foundation. What about you specifically? Any places online? I'm mostly on LinkedIn. So, you know, Josh Otero on LinkedIn. Um, I try to post and kind of share different experiences that I've had and things that I'm doing on LinkedIn. So that's really my main. I I have an Instagram, but it's more I just post like, my daughter and I shooting or my daughter shooting or, you know, something like that. So it's, it's more just fun stuff, but from a personal and business standpoint, I would say LinkedIn. Brilliant. Well, Josh, I want to say thank you. It's been an amazing conversation, quite an interesting journey that you've been through. And and the virtual community is not one I've 
covered on here before, especially linking civilians and, and veterans. So you're doing incredible things. But uh, I want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time and coming on the Behind the Shield podcast today. Thank you, James. I appreciate you having me on. It was an honor and a privilege. And uh, I thank Ken for uh, for connecting us. But no, I'm, I'm uh, really thankful. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity in the microphone.